If I was to ask you the question, what is the most spiritual thing that you could do? I wonder what your answer might be. Maybe for some of you, your answer would be, you know, being here, coming to church, Sunday morning is the most spiritual thing I do in my week. Sure, okay, could be. For others of you, it might be praying. The most spiritual thing I could do in my week is to pray. For some of you, it might be, your answer might be reading the Bible as the most spiritual thing you could do. For, for some of you, it might be loving others is the most spiritual thing that you could do. Whatever your answer might be, undergirding the answer is a common denominator for all of us. And it's this idea of choice. That if our idea of the most spiritual thing we can do is to pray, b behind that is a decision to choose to pray, to choose to love, to choose to read the Bible. Whatever it is, choice actually threads through anything else that we might think is a so-called spiritual thing to do. And I said this to our team this morning in our brief, and it kind of blew their mind a little bit. One of the things that God is known for is being all-powerful. Okay, the, the, the churchy word is we say that He's omnipotent, He's all-powerful. But I, I reminded our team this morning is, of this fact, that despite being, God being all-powerful, you and I actually have the ability to override His power simply by choosing to say no to something He's asked us to do. Because in that moment of saying no, it's dead. Because God doesn't impose Himself on us. He doesn't force us to be like robots pre-programmed to just say yes and do His will. He pushes a button and we just carry out the task. And that's a hint, maybe the most gravest hint of the power of choices and our ability to choose that we can actually override the power of God. Now, by the way, when we say no to God, it's, it, it's us that loses, but we do have that ability. And we make choices every day. We make choices in our daily routine, choosing to get up, choosing to have a shower, hopefully, choosing to go to work, choosing to have lunch, choosing to leave work, choosing to commute home, choosing to have dinner, choosing what you do in your evening uh, relaxation, choosing to go to bed. There's choices throughout the day in our routine. And then there's choices within choices. What time am I gonna get up? What am I gonna have for breakfast? Uh, am I gonna wash my hair today when I have my shower? When I go to work, am I gonna work hard or am I gonna just do the bare minimum? Uh, what time am I gonna leave work? When I get home, what am I gonna have for dinner? What am I gonna do with my uh, recreational time? And what, what time am I gonna go to bed? And there's just choices throughout the day. And, and the compounding uh, qualitative nature of our choices actually impact our future. And then there's the big choices. Should I get married? If so, to whom? Uh, when and if should we make babies? Uh, what career should I pursue? What course of study should I undertake? Should I start a business? Should we move cities, move countries, move big choices? But in all of this, we have the power to choose. And in, in that power, we're given the actual ability to choose the future. 
Now, this is breaking news to some people when I say this, because some people think that the, the future is just something that, that kind of happens and we just kind of stumble into it and have no control over it and have no influence over the future, that we're just kind of to come along, this kind of superstitious notion of how the future happens. But we as humans have the power to choose the future. Silkworms, when they get up in the morning, they just make silk. They, They don't even choose, they just get on with it. Honeybees, when they get busy in the morning, busy bees, they just start doing stuff that's gonna make honey. And yet humans, one of the things that sets us apart from all other species is our ability to choose. Now I'm, before I launch into and take a deep dive into what I wanna teach this morning, I, I, I need to make sure you know that I know, that, that I'm aware that our life and our lives can at various points be intercepted by the poor choices of other people that can have an impact on us. I'm not unaware of that. In fact, in 2009, a few of you know the story, I'm not gonna unpack it all, but in 2009, I was leading a church elsewhere and uh, I got fired from, from leading that church. And uh, the people that fired me were the board and they, they were our, Louis and my most trusted confidants in that church. And we'd shared a lot of life with them in the time we were leading it. We'd shared a lot of uh, behind the curtain stuff that we were processing in our own lives with them. And so not only did I find myself jobless and, and, and because we didn't have the income, we had to sell our home and for a period of time we're living with other people in a sort of pseudo homeless situation. Um, we also had this uh, anger and bitterness and, and this um, almost, it's almost difficult to put words to it, but the, the, the sorts of things you feel and you carry when people have betrayed your trust. And we were, and we were carrying that. Other people's decision, other people's choices to intercepted our life and we didn't have power over that choice, but here's the thing. We had power over every choice after that, particularly when it come, came to forgiveness. We had to actually forgive the people who'd caused and wreaked some havoc in our life. I had one of my buddies from a, from a church here in Perth, when he heard the news, emailed me and he said, man, I really hope you're, you're not going, he's an ex-army guy, he goes, he goes, I really hope you're not gonna leave God's army because there's too many good soldiers leaving the battlefield. And I said, no man, I'm gonna be in the MASH unit getting, getting fixed up for a little season, um, but I'll be back on the battlefield, buddy. I will choose, we will choose to get back on the battlefield. We will choose to trust again. We w- yeah, there may be some people that will hurt us in the future, but we will choose, we, w- we will make sure that our life is not defined by the poor choices of other people that have had an impact on us for a season. So even in situations where we haven't had full ability to choose what's happened to us, we we will always carry with us the ability to choose what we do with that, how we process that, where we go with that, and don't let us be defined by it. 
God throughout history consistently leads people to intersections where they are forced to make a choice. And I wanna take you to one of those times in history this morning. If you've got our Elevate app, you can tap the Bible uh, tile. If you haven't got it, you can grab it from one of the uh, app stores. And uh, we've preloaded the Bible that I want the section I wanna teach from this morning. Um, and I, let me give you the backstory before we, we, we dive deep into, this, in, into the bit I wanna unpack this morning. Uh, the nation of Israel had been held in captivity as slaves by Egypt. And, and they'd been slaves to the Egyptians for centuries. Now, one day, a guy named Moses uh, was walking along and, and, and he noticed a bush was burning, kind of just caught his attention as, you know, there's a bush burning, it catches your attention. And, and, and God actually started, started speaking to him from that burning bush. It's kind of one of those, whoa, uh, times. And, and God said to Moses, I want you to actually go to Pharaoh, the, the, the big chief of Egypt, and actually ask him or command him really on my behalf to, to let the Israelites go. Now Moses was reluctant. Moses actually said no. He actually overrided, overrode God's instruction, God's request initially. But eventually, thankfully, Moses said yes. He chose to be obedient eventually. And so Moses pitched up to the most powerful man in the known world back then, the, the man who had held in, in his uh, regime had held the Israelites captive in slavery for centuries and said to Pharaoh, uh, <clears throat> uh, God's asked me to uh, tell you to let my people go. So how about it? And Pharaoh said, uh, no. Moses went again, Pharaoh said no again, Moses again, Pharaoh no again. Well, then God decided to escalate the situation and uh, sent a succession of 10 plagues. And you can read about these plagues if you wanna just kind of dial back in the Bible, but let me just give you the skinny version. They were nasty. And uh, God sent the succession of 10 plagues by the time the Egyptians had experienced the 10th plague. Pharaoh's like, oh, all right, okay, we're done. I'm gonna let your people go. And God had promised them while they were living, still living in, in captivity in Egypt that, that He would lead them, the nation of Israel, to a land that He'd promised. And so Moses took the leadership role and, 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 and the people of Israel followed Moses through the desert on the way to this land that God had promised. But before they could arrive in the land that God had promised, Pharaoh changed his mind. Because Pharaoh now was faced with the situation that no one was building his pyramids. No one was digging his canals. No one was tending to his, his nation's crops. I mean, you've lost all of the indentured labour that they had. No one was doing the work that no one else wanted to do. And so Pharaoh wanted and decided he was gonna go after the nation of Israel and bring them back. So he assembled his entire army, the best of the best, and went to chase after the Israelites, take them captive again and bring them back. And this is where the writer of Exodus picks it up. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw them, the army, Egyptians, 
coming at them. And they were totally afraid. And they cried out in terror to God. And they told Moses, by the way, this is, this is like Jerry Seinfeld, Jewish uh, sarcasm, this next line, just in case I don't want you to miss this. Weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt so that you had to take us out here in the wilderness to die? In other words, were there, were there some no vacancy signs over the graves in Egypt that the only place you could bury us was here in the, in the desert? It's funny. It's funny to me anyway. What have you done to us taking us out of Egypt? Back in Egypt, didn't we tell you this would happen? Didn't we tell you, leave us alone here in Egypt. We're better off as slaves in Egypt than as corpses in the wilderness. And Moses spoke to the people and said, don't be afraid. Stand firm and watch God do His work of salvation for you today. Take a good look at the Egyptians today for you're never gonna see them again. God will fight the battle for you. And you, <laughs> keep your mouth shut. God said to Moses, why cry out to me? Speak to the Israelites, order them to get moving. Hold your staff high and stretch out your hand over the sea, split the seal. The Israelites will walk through the sea on dry ground. So we enter this scene in history with Pharaoh and his elite forces chasing after some, a, a, a nation of manual labourers, unarmed. And, and we discover, should be to no one's surprise, that the Israelites were terrified. But here's the thing. Should they have been terrified? Should we be unsurprised that they were terrified? Well, Actually, being terrified didn't make any sense because these people had seen Pharaoh say yes to what was an absurd request, let my people go. They'd seen God send 10 plagues to the Egyptians that didn't touch or harm any of the Israelites. And on that basis, having seen God move 10 times, Pharaoh relented and said yes. And by the way, they weren't going nowhere. They were going to a land God had already promised they would inherit. So if they got all that, and if they know all that, and if they remember all that, and if they've experienced all that, then it's an absurd response that they were terrified. Doesn't make any sense. But here's how it happens. Have you ever, have you ever said to God, and, I, and I, I, by the way, I won't judge you if you've tell, told me you prayed honest, stripped back prayers. I'll, I'll, I'll applaud you because it's like, we don't have to be airbrush our prayers. So have you, ever, have you ever said something along the lines of this to God? God, if you just do this one miracle, I'll never doubt again. Anyone ever prayed a prayer like that? If you, God, if you, look, I'm, I'm skint right now. I'm, I, I got this bill just arrived and I don't have the money to pay it. So God, if you just, if you, I mean, I'm working hard. I'm, I'm managing my finances, but this is just coming at a really bad time for me. God, but if God, if you provide the money for this thing, the miracle I need financially, I will never doubt you again. And God provides the money. 
God, I've got this health issue. I've been, I've been eating well. I've been looking after myself, but this thing's come along and no one saw it coming and, and we can't even fully explain it. But God, if you can get me through this health crisis, I will never doubt you again. God, God, my marriage right now, my marriage, man, I'm not even sure this thing's gonna make it into next year. But God, if you, if you can, can, can bring along a miracle that's gonna reconstruct and rebuild my marriage, I will never doubt you again. And God comes through. And then the next time you get faced with a financial challenge, you find yourself terrified. The next time you hit a health crisis, you find yourself terrified. The next time you hit some relational turbulence, you find yourself terrified because we forget. It's not that we forget God exists, but we forget to take yesterday's faith and apply it to today's challenges. And so the the Israelites weren't viewing this challenge through the lens of what God had done in the the past. They'd kind of forgotten that. And, 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 And yet had they done that, then being terrified would not have necessarily been their default response. And so they yell at Moses. I mean, you know, it's always the leader's fault. Yell at the leader. You know, didn't we tell you? Leave us alone here in Egypt. We're better off as slaves in Egypt than, than as corpses in the wilderness. Here's the thing. They never said that to Moses. <laughs> didn't we tell you? Moses like, no, you didn't. In fact, here's what you did. Here's what you did. I need to remind you, the people of Israel, you weren't telling me that you wanted to stay here. You spent centuries crying out to God, set us free, set us free, set us free. And all I'm doing is being used by God to answer your prayers. So no, you didn't tell me, leave us alone here in Egypt. But they'd gotten so uh, misaligned with their thinking, not only did they start kind of making stuff up, they actually boiled this, their options, their future into only one of two alternatives, that they were going to be taken back to Egypt as slaves or they were gonna die in the desert. They didn't even, they'd stopped even considering that God was both willing and able to finish what He'd started and lead them into the promised land. Because here was the real problem. The real problem is they'd never lived free. Their their parents, their parents' parents, their parents' 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 parents, hundreds of years, the, the Israelites had only known one way to live and that was as slaves. And now they dipped their toes in the water of freedom and they did not know what to do with that. And their past came hunting them down. Come back, we've missed you. Come back, we used to be so good together. Come back, we have so many great memories. And all of a sudden, captivity becomes more attractive than freedom if you don't know how to live free. He 
here at Elevate, uh, we have things we call things, <laughs> environments we call Elevate groups. And Elevate groups are small groups of sort of eight to 12 people that gather every fortnight uh, in homes and so on and so forth and just do some life together and talk around Jesus and share some food and so on. And so Louis and I lead an Elevate group. And uh, about two months ago, uh, we, we do dinner and we just kind of hang out. It's like one of the greatest things we get to do with our lives. And, um, and I can't remember the on-ramp, but, but, uh, but it came up in conversation or, or I put it out there on the table that I used to have an a, a incredible anger. Issue would be understating it. I mean, I was like ugly anger and I was regularly ugly anger. I was... I was never physically violent. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Uh, but I, I, w- I would get angry and not just like, like I would get 11 out of 10 level angry and, and it would happen a lot and it would happen everywhere. There was no, uh, no nobody was safe uh, in, in my orbit. And, and the thing is, our Elevate group were like, they were like, mind blow, what? Because none of them, in the few years we've known each other, have ever seen even a glimpse of that. Louis, Louis has, and we're, we're, we're celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary this week. And, uh, and uh, in the early part of our 20 year, uh, Louis experienced some of uh, Mark's uh, unabashed, uncontrolled anger, as did many, many other people. But our, 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 our crew had never seen that. And they were like, what, what, what? Almost disbelief. So when people don't believe what I'm saying, they look to Louis and Louis goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm telling you. And uh, one of our crew asked the question, well, how did you change? Like, like that doesn't connect with, with who we know you to be today. What, what happened? How did, how did you change? And I was able to have the conversation and, 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 and talk about the fact that, that me just being willing to submit to Jesus is what over time, like, like Jesus did, just didn't come along and, and switch the anger switch off. That's Jesus the magician. I was following Jesus the Messiah who's more about process than he is about just giving quick fixes. And so I had to submit to that. And here's the thing. The revelation that I got finally, you know, it's like, oh my God. Everyone's like, why did it take Mark so long to realize? The revelation I got is that I did not have to live as a slave to my anger. Like, like, no, there was a time that I thought that that was it, that I was an angry person. And God showed me that, that, that I may be someone who gets angry quickly now, but I don't have to stay that way. And that if I submit to him, He'll lead me on a process. And it's something that Paul wrote. Paul was a heavyweight of the early church. He wrote about what he called the fruits, or fruit, depending on which English school you went to, of the Spirit. And if you ask Rochelle, she can rattle them off. I'm not as spiritual as her. I'll have to read them for you. But there are seven. And Paul said that as we, his idea is that as we allow God's Holy Spirit, as we allow Jesus to transform us, He'll actually infuse in us these seven things and it'll be demonstrable to the people around us. Here they are, love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. There's more than seven, there's nine. They've grown, wow, it's getting fruitier in here. Goodness, 
faithfulness. Uh, uh, two years of Bible college, what a waste of money. Uh, gentleness, gentleness and self-control. Now for me, you knew that, right? You're very respectful, Tanya. She didn't call out. It's nine, you idiot. <laughs> people, on the, people on the podcast are like, he said seven. For me, the two things that I took, the two of the nine that I took and said, God, I, I need you to work in me and, 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 and transform me was patience and self-control. And that as I submitted and said, I, 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 this anger thing, I've been doing too well at shaking it off. I grew up with a dad who was angry. I, I probably learned some of these uh, so-called default traits from him. I'm not blaming him, but we do pick stuff up. And uh, I was both shown by God that it's not only... Uh, not only better, not only possible to live free, but that actually God gives us the power to live free. I read a, a tweet leading up to Christmas. Someone put up, put up there and now uh, parents with young kids block their ears. Put, put up, I'm not about to swear. I'm just about to say something that you wouldn't want them to hear. Um, <laughs> some of them have heard you swear, so don't look at me like that. Um, <laughs> Someone, someone leading out to Christmas put a, put a little tweet, like a sort of a pro-parenting tip. This year, they said, this year, I'm gonna save some money. I'm gonna wrap some batteries and give them to my kids with a note, toys not included. <laughs> good, isn't it? Hey, it's good. I like that. I was gonna give you, I didn't give parenting advice uh, very often. I was gonna give you some, I forgot, early December. But, but maybe, maybe bank this one for next year, parents. Here's the thing. If you've got some kids that are a little bit kind of out of control leading into early December, here's what you do. Get some empty boxes, wrap them up, put them under the tree, put their name on it. And anytime they're naughty, take one of those boxes, take it out in the backyard and burn it. <laughs> for, with, with, and ensure they're watching. I'm telling you, I've, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard, I've, I've heard that it's like, anyway. Oh, dearie, dearie me, what are you saying? But when we choose to follow Jesus and submit our lives to Him, He shows us that it's not only possible to change, but actually that it comes with the power to change. And here's the thing. And two weeks ago, this is kind of part two of a message I spoke about two weeks ago called the point of no return. Two weeks ago, I made the point that if God fixed your life, but didn't change you, you'd break it again in five minutes because our lives are intrinsically connected to us. And so Jesus starts the transformation of our lives by first transforming us. He didn't flick the anger management switch off. He started working in me. He started making me a new creation. He started transforming me. And so here I am, 15 years having left my slavery to anger, and I'm not perfect yet, but, but, but to get to a point where the people that know me now, none of our church, none of our leaders have ever seen even a glimpse of that. And I pray that they never will for both of our sakes. Um, knowing it's possible to change and knowing we have access to the power to change though isn't always enough because I know some people who have decided to follow Jesus and they've become aware that Jesus is gonna make it possible for them to change. And they've even become aware that God gives them access to the power to change. And yet sometimes I've seen people still not choose 
a preferable future. And the thing that stops them is familiarity. Because the second we choose to move out of slavery to whatever it is we've been enslaved to, we actually step into a period of uncertainty. And some people prefer the safety of slavery over the uncertainty of freedom. That's why some people haven't given up ineffective ways of thinking because it's the only way they know. And they'll tell you, well, I've always been like this. Yeah, we know you've always been like that, but you don't always have to be like that. That's why some people just go back to destructive patterns of behaviour. Maybe, maybe someone's poor choice has intercepted their life and, and for that season, they, 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 they started on some destructive uh, patterns of behaviour and yet that season's over and those circumstances no longer exist, but they've, but they've forgotten how to live free. And so they keep going back to those destructive patterns of behaviour. This is why some people maintain toxic relationships, either, either uh, you know, uh, dating or marital relationships or even just toxic friendships. People think, well, better to have bad love than no love at all. Better to have toxic friendships than to be lonely. And the reality is that, 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 that none of that's true. But in order to move towards where God wants to deliver us, we have to first let go of the things that we've been hanging on to that are familiar and maybe the only thing that we can even remember. So Moses spoke to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm, watch God do His work of salvation in you. Our job to stand firm, not to go back, not to quit, not to give up. And Moses said, God will fight the battle for you. And then, and then, <laughs> And then he said this one, I love this one. This gives me permission to say this every now and then to people. And you, keep your mouth shut. Now, he wasn't saying to them, shut up. He was saying to them, the only thing I'm hearing from you are how treacherous your circumstances are becoming and how ineffective you think God's gonna be in those circumstances. And so rather than only talking about the problem and rather than forgetting God's power and God's ability to deliver you from this, how about you stop that and you start changing the things you focus on. You start changing the words you use because words create worlds. You can talk yourself into anything. So stop saying what God can't do and start remembering what God has done. Stop, stop being so worried about Pharaoh and his big, strong armies and start focusing your attention and, and thanking God in advance for His strength and His power and His ability to deliver you. Shut up with the negativity. Shut up with the lack of faith. Shut up with only talking about the problems and focus on not how big the problem is, but how big God is. Because God next to your problem, all of a sudden, problem looks pretty insty-wincy. Problem gets shrunk-wrapped. 
problems come to control. And now when you do that, as you focus on that, all you need to do is stand firm and watch God win the battle for you. Do His salvation work in you. The same God that led you out of Egypt is gonna finish what He started and deliver you into the promised land if you choose to put your trust in Him and keep taking next steps. Some people think that the future comes to them. The future waits for them. And it waits for us to step into it. It waits for us to step towards it. It waits for us to choose to move, to say yes to God, to be obedient, to step out in faith, to continue taking next steps. And sometimes they're baby steps and sometimes they're giant leaps, but they're always about God, where are you leading me, no matter what the circumstances are. And they're never, even when our past comes, comes a calling, it's never better. It might be more familiar, but it's never better because there's a promised land waiting for us. How about music team coming up? And here's where, this is, this is some really cool stuff. <laughs> I said, you can pray honest prayers to God. He, he actually gets honest with us sometimes. <clears throat> but just put the scripture back on, please, uh, Big Johnny. He, he says, um, God said to Moses, why cry out to me? <laughs> It's like one of the only times you'll read in the Bible where God tells someone to stop praying. <laughs> Would you just stop praying, please? Why are you crying out to me? It's pretty, pretty weird. God's telling, most of the time, He's probably telling us to start praying. But in this case, He's telling Moses, can you stop praying? Because I've already promised you to lead you into a land. You don't have to ask for that anymore. I've already promised it. And when I've promised it, even though you're not yet there, it's as good as done. So why are you crying out to me? And here's the thing. Too many people confuse prayer with procrastination. You know God's calling you to take a next step and you say, now let me just pray about that. You've read something in the Bible and that's leapt off the screen or left off the page and you've gone, poor, wow, that was for me. And God says, cool, how about you go and do it? And you say, uh, I'm just gonna pray about that. God says, no, mate. Stop with the praying and continue with the progress. Why are you talking to me? Speak to the Israelites and order them to get moving. And here we are, December 31. I didn't really forget that. December 31 and about to enter a brand new year. But just because you're stepping into tomorrow, doesn't mean you're stepping into the future. Because if you're not careful, you might just copy and paste. And that's not choosing the future, that's just replaying the past and putting a different number at the end of 2018. 
God says, no, I wanna, I wanna do something new in you. I wanna do something new through you. I wanna, I, I, I wanna, I wanna take you further. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna see you in 2018 become more like my son, Jesus. And so some of you, there's next steps or a next step that you know God's been nudging you towards. And here we are, December 31. And some of those things I talked about are reasons you haven't taken that step yet. Familiarity, fear. And I pray that this morning, right now, as we've been taking this time to look at this story in history, that you've got a new level of boldness that's gonna see you take that next step. That you're not gonna be dominated by fear. You're not gonna be drug back into the past. You're not going to let familiarity be the thing that you cling on to, but instead God's Word and God's promise and, 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 and remembering what He's already done in your life and applying that to this next step. And I don't know what that next step is. I, I'll give you some uh, things that it might be. I've been doing this for a while. I, I, I can kind of, some of them are things that God's pretty good at doing a lot of. For some of you, your next step into 2018 is gonna to be to take up a course of study. Because you're in a job that you're miserable in and you, you wear the T-shirt, thank God it's Friday and dear God it's Monday. And, 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 and God's like, no, you can, you can live a life that you were created to live by doing something different. So that might be a course of study. It might be a, a career shift, taking a step of faith into a new job situation. It might be forgiveness. You might have been carrying around bitterness and hurt and unforgiveness and, and you think it's punishing the person that wronged you. It's not. Some of them have even forgotten they did that to you. It's you that's been eaten alive from the inside out. And maybe that's your next step to say, Jesus, I need you to help me here because I can still remember what they did to me and I can still remember how painful that was. And he says, yeah, I know. I know. So let's, let's work together to forgive them. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's time for you to, to move from a consumer to a contributor here at Elevate Church. That could be your next step into 2018. Brilliant time to start. Maybe it's giving financially. One of the things that, that as a leader of a church, we, we don't ever want, want your money. God doesn't ever want your money. What we want to see people doing is living financially free. And that, and that means living debt free. That's one thing. But it also means when you hear the word money, your initial default is in fear and thoughts of lack. And will I ever have enough? And if I'm generous, will I have enough to meet my needs? But when you hear the word finances, you think about joy and liberation and freedom, that God is your source and you can give and live generously because you'll never run out because He'll never run out. Maybe that's your thing leading into 2018. Whatever it is, whatever it is, God's already given you that nudge, whatever it is, stop praying. <laughs> yes, you heard it here. Stop praying and get ready to take that next step. Our team's gonna lead us. I want you to stand. We're just gonna sing a little part of a song we've already sung this morning. Those of you here for the first time, the words are on the screen. It's real simple. I want you to sing this, but as you're singing this, I want you to think about what it is that God's nudging you. What's that next step leading into 2018? What is it, God? What is it? it could be something that I haven't mentioned, but what is it? Let
God nudge you. Let God nudge you and get ready to say yes. Start saying yes this morning.